excited about what we're going to be in today. So um, if you haven't been following along, um, we've been uh, going through, yeah, this, this series, uh, Becoming Everyday Disciples. And um, yeah, what we've been doing is we are laying out some practices and the Got kind of like a really special acronym, the word become, uh, with uh, laying out six little things, little things that I'm asking you as people who attend I-90 Community Church to, to like just take on these disciplines, these spiritual practices, things that will um, help, I think, you grow in your discipleship to, to, to become a, a deeper, uh, more, um, I, I don't want to say committed, I hate that word, uh, but like a, a, a more stable, more joyful, uh, more uh, disciple disciple. Yeah, that's the great word. That, let's use that one. Um, and so far, we've been talking about, we've gone through four things, um, asking you to, to bless uh, somebody. Um, on a regular basis, I think I said every single day. Um, did I say? Did I say once a week? I can't remember. I, I wrote it down. That's why I write things down. Uh, to eat with somebody, uh, to, to two different people um, every month. You know, just like sit around a table, gather together, talk with them, uh, share share your life with them. To, to confess, to confess on a weekly ba- basis. You know, not just like talking about all the bad things you've done and feeling guilty about it, but but putting those things away, giving them to Jesus, turning to to the hope and forgiveness you have in Him. To, to practice confession. And then last week we talked. Uh, last two weeks we talked about just opening our mouths. Just sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus, letting that just be like something that it becomes natural to us and learning that, learning that, training into that natural way of sharing Jesus. And, and today we're moving on to number five, M, um, and that is meet. I want you to meet with God every day. Meet with God every day. Pretty simple, right? Just go ahead and meet with God. Um, probably of all the things that I'm asking you to do and of these six things, um, I think this is probably like the most important. And in fact, I, I kind of visually represented its importance with this next slide here. So really, the M should be outsized relative to all the others because um, while certainly like we're, um, we're, well, you might remember this other, other slide that I have here. Um, this is just a chart that I really enjoy and I bring up every now and then. Um, and it's representing, I, I think, Three things that are essential for all disciples, three kind of areas where we need to grow in and where we need to really invest in and where churches really need to encourage people to grow in, and that's just uh, mission, formation, and presence. Mission, right, we've talked about is like, it's just like reaching out to people because Jesus is on a mission and he's called his church to, to go along with him on a mission. Formation is this process of discipleship, uh, character formation, becoming Christ-like, you know, taking on spiritual disciplines to develop the heart and mind and life of Christ within us. And then finally, this other thing, what I, which I call presence, you know, I really just mean that like, like we are meant to be people who enjoy God's presence. I really think that's a part of being a Christian. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second, but um, you, we kind of, each, uh, each of these things has, corresponds with one of these habits, right? Probably blessing and eating is really missional. Open your mouth is sort of, I think it's formational, it's also missional because you're t- talking about Jesus, but you're also like drawing out of yourself like words and praise and, 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 and talking about Jesus. I think that's, that's a, crosses over those two things, right? Confession and then the other uh, discipline that we'll get to next week, uh, the secret E that's left over, those are going to be formational things. But I think meeting with God is, is the only thing uh, that's in this presence thing. And because it's really, and, and I think it's just so important. It's, it's why it's such an essential thing, because we have to be people who are 
um, seeking out the Lord and being like in fellowship with him. Like we talk about it all the time that we have a personal relationship with Jesus. And we, we, we develop personal relationships by spending time, by meeting with people. And you know what? As much as God is God, we also can think of God as person. And I mean, he is three persons in one. And, and we, he has done so much to make it very clear that he wants to meet with us. And again, we're going to get into some of the biblical uh, backing to that in just a second. But um, I really think, and the reason that this is so important, is that if you want to be a disciple for the long haul, you need to make it a daily habit of meeting with God, particularly so in our day and age, where I think Christians, if we look around, are, are in a state of exhaustion. Um, a lot of Christians um, are, you know, j- just, just struggling. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really for, for a lack of spending time with God. In, in one of his books, uh, Ronald Rollheiser, who's, a, who's like a Methodist theologian who writes a lot about spiritual disciplines and stuff, he, he shares a conversation between an old-school preeminent Catholic theologian um, and his students. And, and a student came to this Catholic theologian, he asked him this question. He said, if you had to submit one biblical text that you felt named our faith situation today, what would that text be? In his answer, this theologian said, it's the disciples walking on the road to Emmaus on Easter Sunday. You guys know that passage? It's okay if you don't. Um, you can find it in Luke 24, verse 13. Um, and just to, just to give you the gist of it, it's that, it's that Jesus has been crucified. His disciples, you know, are, are kind of unsure of what's going on, but then a few, Jesus appears to a few of them, and they start talking amongst themselves, and they're um, saying, man, Jesus seems to have, like, he's not in the grave anymore. It seems like he's maybe resurrected. He's shown up to some of these disciples, and these, these, these two disciples are just walking along. Um, they've, they've heard about everything that's going on in Jerusalem, and they're, they're discussing it. Um, and they're walking to Emmaus, talking about these rumors, talking about try- not knowing what to make of it, somewhat discouraged, somewhat dismayed, and then suddenly Jesus just comes along, he starts to walk among them and talk with them, but they don't, they don't recognize him. It's kind of an interesting thing. Like, they're just so consumed with their troubles and so consumed with their feeling alone and lost that they don't recognize Jesus who's standing in front of them and walking with them. And this theologian, he goes on, he explains the why, the whys of this. All right, I kind of set it up here, but he says, he then went on to explain himself in words to this effect. The disciples were walking towards Emmaus. They're deeply discouraged. Their once firm faith had been shattered, but they're walking with Jesus and yet are unable to recognize him. The situation of today's Christians in our secularized culture is basically the same. We're walking on the road to Emmaus, discouraged, our youthful faith crucified, talking with Christ, but unable to recognize him. And as adult Christians today, we often find ourselves living in that time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. When, when, the, when the God we were raised on has been crucified, but our sense of the resurrection has not yet fully illuminated our imaginations so that we can recognize the God who's walking beside us. And I think this is really like an insightful passage. I think it really does name the dynamic that many of us feel. It captures the problem that we face in our day-to-day lives, especially as people who are trying to follow Jesus in a culture that doesn't really, doesn't really cheer you on, right? <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, 
many of us are like these disciples. We believe Jesus rose again. We, we believe in all he, who he said he was. He was crucified to take away my sins 100%. Um, we hear that this is probably true, that he rose again. We take on the name disciples. We're, we're all for Jesus. We want to be identified with him, but that sense, that internal sense, that joy that comes along with knowing and confidently living in the resurrection the sense that God is alive, that he actually is more powerful, and that he is, in fact, advancing his kingdom, and he is, in fact, at work among us today, that he is, in fact, ever-living, making intercession, moving through the world by his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we oftentimes fail to recognize, to see these things. We don't, and I would argue, because we're just not paying attention we don't experience God in that way. We don't experience God as active in the world. And I, I think what's kind of tragic is that many of us have convinced ourselves, not only, we kind of had that sense, but we also are trying to talk ourselves out of the need for it. We're trying to just like hype ourselves up and, and be stronger and push through um, to think that we don't actually need to have like a sense of closeness with God. And I'm just, I, I, sometimes we, well, that's because we are religious and we are serious, and we've talked ourselves out. We, we'll just be serious people, and we'll p- power through the difficulties. But I, I, I really don't think that's necessary. In fact, I think that's going to get in your way. I think it's very difficult to carefully read the Bible, right? You know, if you just think about your, just disconnect your experience, but read Scripture. Even just read the first book of the Bible. Read the book of Genesis, I think it's very difficult to read the book of Genesis and think God is a distant God. The whole narrative of the book of Genesis is God trying to say, nope, that's not, that's not who I am. I am a very near. I am a very close. I'm a very revealing God. God makes Eden this place to be literally a place where he can interface and have fellowship and connection with the people, with, the, with his creation. And then when things go south and, and things get wrecked by sin and death comes into the world, what does God do? He, he, kinda, he, doesn't, he doesn't intervene immediately, but he does intervene. And that's what he, he reveals himself to Abraham to start to reconnect, reestablish himself. He just shows up to Abraham. Abraham no, had no business knowing God. He didn't earn any, 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 any uh, right to know God, but he reveals himself. And then he reveals himself to his son, Isaac, right? And then he reveals himself to his son, Jacob. Jacob, who's just like a scheming kind of loser, selfish person. And God just says, no, but I'm just going to like, like you're going to fall asleep on a rock and I'm going to show up and you're going to realize, man, God's in this place. And for some reason, he's, he's making himself known to me. So if I read the book of Genesis, and then, and then I read, we'll see what goes on with Joseph, and then with Moses, like all the book of Genesis is, the very first book of the Bible is God showing up over and over and over again, persistently making himself known and present with his people. That's what it is. It is difficult, I think, to read Scripture and not realize at least that the message of Scripture is that God is near. And then, I mean, fast forward to when Jesus comes. Jesus 
Like the literary aspects of of the Bible are really fascinating, right? And and the gospel writers go to great pains to make these clear connections between the God who's revealing himself, this Old Testament God who is actually gracious and surprisingly kind and surprisingly willing to be apart and connected with people. Jesus like lays hold of all these imagery, right? I mean, we call him, he was called, the Old Testament prophetic name for Jesus was Emmanuel, which means God with us. Right? So, I mean, God is with his people right at the beginning. He's taking steps throughout the whole story of the Bible to be close to his people. And then finally, to to bring this whole plan, his presence among people to its culmination, he sends God with them, literally born into the world to save and to be known and literally to just, just put himself out there and even to the point of being crucified by the people he'd come to serve and to reveal himself to. The God of Scripture is a God who is putting himself out there, who wants to be known and who makes himself available. He's come to all of the earth to reveal light and the love of God and the kindness and the gospel and the truth. And he's come as a servant, right? Jesus, like, think about how the way Jesus acted. He came washing the people's feet. And he told his disciples... Like in John 15, um, 4 through 9, I skipped a verse in the middle, sorry. He said this, he said, abide in me. This is like, this is, okay, he's about to leave, he's come, and he's inaugurated all these things, he's established this relationship with these disciples, and he's saying, just a few words before I head out, I need you to understand what it's going to look like from here on out, this continued relationship with me, it's going to look like this, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. I think it is a difficult thing to read scripture and think of God as distance. And I think it is an impossible thing to come to Jesus and think that he is distant because he gives us some pretty clear instructions here. You want this love, you want this confidence, you want this joy, you want all the good things that we have as followers of Jesus, abide in my love. As I have loved you, abide in my love. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. The God we read about in scriptures is a God of presence. We just need to be clear about that. I know sometimes it's difficult. Our experiences makes us think otherwise, but let's, let's find the truth. And the truth is that he is a very present. He is God with us. He's promised himself to us as the church, as people washed by his blood, called by his name. We, we, we are like to be bearers of his name and he walks with us. But oftentimes, we don't recognize him. We don't recognize him. And we're not alone in that. I mean, historically, Christians have struggled with this. This is the the battle. This is the battle of faith. Like, it's the battle of practicing our faith. Um, Even even early on, um, we see Christians struggling with this. The book of of Hebrews is really interesting. It's one of of my favorite books. It was written to Jews, that is, people who were, were you know, uh, like, like Jesus, like, 
they were Jewish, and then they turned to Jesus, and, and they became followers of Jesus. That's why it's called Hebrews. Um, but the writer is writing to a, a group of, of uh, Israelite-like believers in Jesus who were just becoming exhausted. They were just tired, and they were considering giving up on their faith. They were so exhausted because they, well, they lived around people who mocked them and hated them. Most of their families kind of ostracized them for following Jesus, right? It was a difficult time to follow Jesus um, um, in, in, in Israelite culture. And uh, they were exhausted because they just didn't recognize what God was doing. They, they weren't perceiving what God was up to in, in their lives. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, he, he, he encourages them. He's trying to build them up. He's trying to get them back focused on what God wants to do. And he, he lays it out for them. He says in, in Hebrews 4, 9 through 11, it says this, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest. And this is a word spoken to very religious people, right? It's a word spoken to Jewish people, and they would have had practices and ways of understanding how it is they please God, and it would have been a lot about all the things that they do. But, but to those people, the writer of the book of Hebrews is explaining, listen, like, Here's the really important part. Here's the thing that God is really trying to do in the history of Israel and in his intervention with the world. He has a goal in mind. The goal of following Jesus is actually that you would enter into rest. Like It's a fascinating four chapters, the first four chapters of the book of Hebrews, right? Because he, he's, he's making a direct connection, and, and he does it other, other parts of, of those early chapters. Uh, the, the writer is making a direct connection um, to God's creation, six days creation, and then on the seventh day, he rested, right? He just enjoyed the good work. That, that rest word is the same word. He's making a very direct connection. He's saying this Sabbath rest, God intends for us to come in and have this kind of like perfect, good, rightly ordered sort of life where we're just enjoying who he is. That's the goal of what we're trying to achieve here as followers of Jesus. That's what God is trying to do in the world. He's trying to bring about this Sabbath rest, this joy, this enjoyment of God's good creation, enjoyment of him where there's peace and there's not striving. That's the goal. Right? And then he also talks about the, the rest that the Israelites were going to have, like Joshua's leading them into the promised land. You read about that in the book of Exodus and, and then on into to Numbers. Um, Joshua's leading them into the promised land, and the goal was not that they'd get there and work super hard and do everything. Actually, the goal was they were going to get there and they were going to be God's people and they were going to have a rest in that land, rest from their enemies. They were going to have peace. Peace, uh, the rest from oppression. They were going to be protected. They were going to be God's people. It was going to be a special place. God has always been trying. That's really the message that the, that the, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is, is, is drumming on. God is, through your history, Israel, trying to show you that he's trying to bring you into a place of rest. A place of just where you're, 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 he's present with you. You're connected with him. You are, you are abiding in him. You're growing in him. God has made us to be people of rest. And we need to, like he says at the end here, it's kind of counterintuitive, make every effort to enter that rest. 
Effort and rest, not words that I typically associate with each other, right? But let me ask you a question. Let's think about that. Let's think about making every effort to enter into rest. Because it's one thing to say, oh, just rest. How do we enter into rest? Just forget about the spiritual side of things for a second. How do you go to sleep? Do you, like, just keep going for, like, three days and then you pass out? Hopefully you don't hit anything on the way down. Is that how you rest? I hope not. See a doctor if it is. Don't do that. Here's how I rest. I get tired. I notice, you know, I'm getting tired. I uh, brush my teeth, hopefully. I, no, I do. I brush my teeth every night. I do. <laughs> I brush my teeth. I put on my PJs. I turn on my sound machine, and I cozy up in my blankets, and then I hopefully, having made those preparations, I will enter rest. I will go to sleep. You make effort to enter rest because in doing those preliminary things, you create the conditions where rest is likely to follow. If I brush my teeth and put on my PJs and put on my sound machines and get cozied up on my blankets, I might not fall asleep, but I'm sure as darn, gosh darn tootin', uh, more likely to fall asleep than if I have all my clothes on and I'm walking around and working really hard. I'm probably going to fall asleep a lot quicker when I've done the work to enter into rest. Doing your light, nightly routine, I think it's worth noting, is not rest, but it leads to rest, usually. Not always. It's not a guarantee. It's not like a one thing has to follow the other, but usually it will lead to rest, and it certainly will make for much more likelihood that I will get rest. So that's my physical self, and I really don't think my spiritual self is much different. I don't think in my spiritual life the rest that God has for me is, 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 is much different. How do I get spiritual rest? I really want to get practical. But before that, I'm going to tell you I don't want to get too practical. I don't want to get too practical. Because I grew up, I was born in 1984, and so I grew up in the 90s and in the early 2000s, um, and in college, I got involved in a very good, like, campus outreach ministry. Um, it was called Campus Outreach, very cleverly named. Um, and, um, and it was really good, um, focused on discipleship, and they were aiming at practicality, which is important for immature 20-year-old kids, you know? It's like, you don't know what you did. You, somebody tell me what to do. That's a good, the good thing for young people to have somebody just, just tell them what to do. Uh, usually, college students need to be really directed. Um, and here's what they told me to do to enter into rest. Um, I was taught that in order to meet with God, in order to scratch the itch for rest, connection with God, meeting with God, what I would have to do was spend 15 minutes in the morning reading scripture and praying. The, we called it a quiet time, right? QT, for short, if you're going to be really cool with your dudes, um, right? And then, you know, your, your, your dudes would check in on you to make sure you did you do your QT this morning? And you say, oh, yeah, I did my QT this morning. God, it was great. It was great. It was great. Um, and I, I'm not mocking that, okay? Because that really worked really well for some of my peers, um, but I'll tell you, it was not helpful for me in terms of entering into rest, in terms of actually being 
a place where I could meet with God. And, and uh, this is my fault, right? It was, really, it was really my issue because what I failed to understand as a very immature person, I, under, I failed to understand that there is a difference between getting ready for bed and sleeping. And there's a difference between doing the things that will lead to rest, like that actually will naturally lead me to that place, like reading scripture and praying and worshiping God, and then actually meeting with God. Like there's a difference. And over time, I, I probably like kind of knew that intuitively, right? But over time, I started treating my QT like what I was going for. That was just the preliminary stuff. And then I found... Well, it's not very satisfying. I don't feel like I am meeting with God. I don't feel like a closer connection with God as a result of these things. Because I was expecting brushing my teeth and putting my sound machine on and getting cozy under the covers to, to do what only rest could do. Those things were important. They lead me into rest, but they were not in of, of themselves rest. And I just like have, I'm just like a little weird, it was a little weirder than some of my peers. Like this didn't work for me as well. And it was really, it could have, but it just wasn't. So I want to get practical, but I want to avoid being formulaic, okay? Because the thing is, I'm not you, and you're not me, and I'm not the guys who this worked for in college, and, and everybody's actually a little bit different, and that's okay. Um, everybody has a different night-night routine, right? Everybody gets to get ready for bed and gets ready for rest in different ways. We should embrace this. So I do want to get practical, but I want to be super clear. Your greatest need is not to get ready to rest. Your greatest need is to rest. And whatever it is that leads to abiding, loving Jesus more, hearing from him more, do that. Let nothing get in the way of that. That's really my, my please hear that before I get practical here. Okay. So practically, um, what, uh, what are the things that... Uh, make for uh, resting, abiding, meeting with God? I have a, just a really basic slide. They're, classically, Christians have understood at least these three things to be pathways, ways that we get into meeting with God. And those are prayer, worship, and, and scripture, studying scripture, meditating on scripture, uh, thinking about scripture. These are things, reliable pathways that will set me up to meet with God, if I do them, and if I do them with the goal in mind. Now, um, here's the question. Which one of these is the best? Which one of these is the most important, right? Isn't that the question you want to ask? Like, what's the one, that, what's the one that's most important? Um, my answer is the one that leads you to meet with God. Okay? I... I, I I have been also growing up in the 90s and 2000s. The third one was emphasized to the detriment of the other two. And I'm going to talk about Scripture in a second. It's really important. But I really just want to say this. The one that leads you to meet with God is the most important. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a kind of business saying. Um, uh, it's, I, I adapted it a little bit. But this is, this is my, my thought to you. Rest in your strengths and work on your weaknesses. Come on, like some of these things, either you, you, prayer really connects with you, worship really connects with you, scripture really connects with you. Don't say, oh, well, then I better take all my time and focus on my weaknesses. No, invest in your strengths because those are the things that are going to lead you to connect more with God. And then 
from this place of abundance, work on your weaknesses. Don't try to be strong where you're naturally weak. Please stop doing that. And a lot of it's like, a lot of it's because, honestly, a lot of pastors are really scripture people. And so we just bang and bang and bang on the scripture drum. And again, so indispensable. You can't, you can't avoid scripture. But if that's not your primary, most natural, most strongest way of connecting with God, don't try to be somebody else. God made you. He knows who you are. Rest on your strengths. So if you like, if, if it's worship, and I'll, a little, like, I'm rare for a pastor, like for me, it's worship. Like if I am listening to worship and like, I, I, I was embarrassed over the weekend. Like I regularly sit in the corner of Starbucks up on the ridge and just like weep. I'm just sitting there weeping and typing. And I'm like, people must think I am just the weirdest person. I'm weeping because I'm listening to scripture. I'm listening to worship. Like, I'm a worship guy. I love worship. Like, it just brings me right into the presence of God. It's not anything that I'm doing. It's just, it's just like, it's just the more I think of, like, 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 sing to him in my heart, and I think about him, like, I just, I just hear from him. I feel connected to, to the Lord. Like, that's really, really valuable. Um, and I banged my head against a wall for 15 years trying to be a, a primarily scripture guy but I'm, I'm just like worship is my thing. So I've just finally come to accept that. And now you just find me weeping in a corner somewhere. So it's great with my earplugs in. Um, okay, so those are some preliminary things. Let's, let's talk about the scripture thing for a minute. Okay, so what does it look like to, to take scripture and meet with God in it? Um, traditionally, like there's, there's, there's different ways to deal with scripture. The first thing we usually think about when we think about scriptures, we think about Bible study. And Bible study is great. Bible study is essential. Like, we should, especially if you're newer in, in, in your relationship with Jesus, like, you should be really getting to know the content and the message of scripture. You should be reading long sections of scripture so that you're getting more comfortable with it. You should be uh, investing in and learning uh, about things. But, but to, be, to be frank, that's going to be a long process. And so don't stress out. If when you come to Bible study, you're like, well, I don't know enough. Yeah, that's, it's fine. Because what you can do, even if you, you, one, you can, you can study, and, and if you get a lot of joy from study, you should study, study more. But um, studying in a formal way is not the only way that we deal with Scripture. And in fact, just, you ever think about this question? Most of the world, like, until like 300 years ago, was illiterate. How did they follow Jesus, <laughs> right? We've gone to this point where we're just saying, well, the, the primary way you, you follow Jesus and engage with Scripture is through study. And what a privilege we have to study the Word of God. But historically, that's not been the kind of study that we do. It's is, is not been the practice of Christians. What do they do? What, what can you do, even if you're illiterate? Well, you can memorize Scripture. You can put it in your head and put it in your heart. You can meditate on that scripture, which is just to sit, not, not the goal, goal of doing like, like a lot of quantity of scripture, but just sitting with the Lord with a few things, a few psalms, sitting with the Lord, just, just thinking about them. I think sometimes people are made to feel inferior by engaging with scripture that way. And that's just snobbery. I know, because I'm a snob. As you know, you've heard about that before. There are lots, like, engage with the Word of God 
even if it's just like, man, there's just like three verses that I just think about all the time. Man, just make, the, make use of those things. Use the Psalms. Sit with the Psalms. If you've never sat and meditated with Scripture before, just sat before God, read something quietly, and just listen to the Lord. Start with the Psalms. You'll hear so much from God speaking to you. These, like, you cannot read the Psalms and not understand that God is trying to speak to the heart and connect with people. He's a God who wants to be present with us in scriptures. Like, sit and read the Psalms if you've never done that. And then memorize scripture. Put it in your heart because I'll tell you, my best times with scripture, I, I, I do study a lot, um, it's, it's, that's fun. But some of my, my best moments with Scripture are when I'm not trying to study and God brings Scripture to my mind. And he doesn't just like write it on my heart and I say, where is this even from? And he says, oh, it's, it's Romans 7 or something, you know? It's, I already had it in my heart. I already had it in my mind and God brings it to, 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 to me. And like, what an, what an awesome way to meet with God, that God would just like remind us of things as we, as we go along in our day. And he promises to do that. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. He, he reminds us of the things that God has te- taught us. So, so like scripture, really, I'm just trying to make the point is scripture is super important. You can't neglect it. Don't say, well, I'm not going to be interested in scripture. That's, don't do that. <laughs> but wherever you're at, if you are a steadier or if you're just like, man, I just want a few things, like, like build on your strengths. Go to the things that really build you up and encourage you and start to grow into your weaknesses over time. But don't neglect sitting with the Lord, meditating on Scripture. Do the simple things. We love to do the ambitious things. We fail oftentimes to do the simple things with Scripture. Just like sitting and letting the word of God wash over us and meditating on it can be, I think, so valuable. And it actually will, when we stop treating scripture like a, like a lemon to juice, right? Something we just got to squeeze and squeeze everything out of and understand that it's just like a cup overflowing in front of us. We just take a sip, right? Does that image make any sense? I don't know. Um, when we start treating scripture like just like a place where we can casually meet with the God who created the whole universe. I think we're going to enjoy it a lot more. So I wanted to encourage you in that. Like, Scripture is so important. Worship. I, I, I told you, like, this is, this, is, this is really basic stuff. I love worship. I, I sit and I listen to worship music all the time. Um, it, just, it just brings me right into this place of connection with God. Maybe that's not you. That's okay. Um, but wherever you're at, I, I think if you if we go through the New Testament, Paul all the time is telling people to worship and sing songs to the Lord. I think there is, even if you're not musical, there is a call for everybody to worship. And um, if you want to take worship to the next level, I think a lot of us listen to worship. We turn on Spotify or whatever, Apple Music, and we listen to worship and we sing along. That's great. The challenge for you this week, just sing to the Lord without any music. And you'll feel super weird all of a sudden. I promise you, you'll feel super weird. But you know what? Who cares? Some of this stuff, I really honestly think God just wants us, I think a lot of times we grow and we meet with God by just moving past the awkwardness that we feel about our relationship with him. I would just encourage you guys, just sing songs to the Lord. Praise him. Even if you're not a musical, just talk to the Lord. Just sit with him. Talk to him 
about all the things you've seen him doing, all the things you've done. Give praise to God. Worship him. Spend time and actually do that intentionally. I think it's really easy to neglect that if you're not naturally inclined that way. You think, oh, worship is for musical people. No, worship is for anyone who's seen God do great things and has learned the habit and the discipline of proclaiming the goodness of God. And you're just going to find that that is going to yield great fruit in your life if you would just sit there. That's going to be really good abiding time where you can meet with God, even if you're a little uncomfortable with it. And then the final one is prayer. Prayer, I think, is so difficult. But I'll tell you this. If you keep coming to I-90 Community Church in the next year, you are going to learn to pray because we're going to be going into a time, especially September, October, November, where that's all we're going to talk about. We're really going to focus on prayer in this upcoming year. Um, it is a, a huge part of, honestly, like if, I know I said before, whatever is the most important is the one you're best at, but actually I think prayer is the most important of these things. Spending time in the presence of God, praying is, is huge, and it might not be something that you're really good at, but that's okay. I, I wanted to share with you something, and I wanted to, to give you a warning because this is not for guilt. I think this is for awareness. This, there's this book uh, by the pastor named Tyler Staten, and he explains one of the reasons why we don't pray, and, and he basically says the reason why people don't pray is because we're afraid. And so this is, I'm going to read you how he describes this fear. I, I found it so convicting and so compelling. I just wanted to share it with you. Not guilt. No guilt. If you, if you start to feel guilty, say no. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This is why people don't pray. What if I actually stripped away the music and the community and the sermon and strip away all the noise of my familiar faith expression? Left with just me and God, what if I discovered there's actually not much to just me and God? Prayer means the risk of facing silence where we're addicted to noise. It's the risk of facing a God we've mastered talking about, singing about, reading about, and learning about. It means risking real interaction with that God. And the longer we've gotten used to settling for the noise around God, the higher the stakes. What if it's awkward or disappointing or boring? Or what if God stands me up altogether? When we've got that much to lose, prayer might be scarier than the avoidance of never being alone with God. I think that a lot of us don't pray because we have tried and then felt like there were other things that were more exciting. And I think that for many of us, there's a fear. Like, there's a fear that, well, if, if I start to just seek God and really pray with him, what if he isn't interested in me? What if I want to meet with God, but God doesn't want to meet with me? And so... It's really easy to avoid prayer because prayer is scarier. That idea of prayer might be scarier than, than just avoiding being alone with God. And I, and I think what we end up doing is we end up shooting our spiritual lives in, in the foot. 
Because really, Jesus wants to be known. He's, he's made that so clear. He desires for us to know him. He goes out of the way to assure us. Why did Jesus die to forgive you of sin? Not just to save you from hell. Pretty good, pretty good benefit. Jesus died to assure you that there's nothing that could separate you from him any longer. Because if anything can separate me from God, it's all the stuff that I keep doing. And what Jesus did is he died and he says, by faith, by trust, by coming in and just seeking rest in me, you are going to find that, that I'm there and that I'm with you and that there's no separation, that I've adopted you in like, like, like a father adopts a son. And I love you and I care for you. And I think so many of us, and myself included, don't draw near to God because we're afraid of rejection. And we're afraid that he doesn't really love us and that if he knew everything about us, somehow he would, he would, he would not be that into us. And yet, we have over and over and over again the character of God revealed in Scripture, that he is persistently drawing near to people undeserving people. He just comes among people who are, aren't looking for him, who are busying themselves with other things. And he, he, he asks people like that, people like you and people like me, to meet with him. And as we meet with him, all those things get dealt with. And so I just want to encourage you, like maybe, maybe you've gotten to this point where you just say, it's easier for me just not to pray. It's easier for me to avoid that because I, I've tried and it doesn't really work and I'm just like afraid of getting in there, afraid of what's going to happen. I really think that the work of faith is going to drive us to prayer all the more if we really are bold in understanding who God is, what he calls us to. We need to grow in prayer. I'm not going to talk a ton about that right now, because again, we are going to spend a lot of time focusing uh, on prayer in the, the upcoming season here at I-90. I'm really excited about that. But here's what it all comes down to, guys. Prayer, worship, scripture. Yes, you need a QT. You need discipline. You need to be a disciple. And you need to build a routine into your life of daily meeting with God. Not just to check these things off a box, to do the things that actually bring you to a point of knowing, being built up in the love of God, the love that he's called you to abide in. It's so easy to just get invested in doing the things, their bedtime routine, and to avoid the rest. But we need to push through. I'm going to leave you just with Psalm 27, uh, verse 13. David's psalm, he says this, I would have despaired, and the worship team can come up, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How many people feel that? <laughs> but what's David's advice? His charge to Israel you really need to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You really need to meet with God. You really need to understand and believe and know that he's with you. He's for you. Then this is what you do. 
wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. When I was 22 years old or whatever, trying to do my QTs, that was my failure. I did all the things. I did all the things leading up to it, but I didn't wait. Just like if I get in bed, right, and, I, and I, I've done my bedtime routine, I wait five minutes. I'm not asleep yet. Well, better get back up, start my day again. That isn't going to work. These things are leading us into rest. They're leading us into actually being able to, to wait on the Lord and see him and know him. Be strong and let your heart take courage. That's what you need to meet with God. You need the courage to know that he wants to meet with you. And man, if you need, if you need a word from the Lord, scripture is full of it. Like, like, if you need uh, encouragement in that, find someone around you who loves Jesus, who maybe is further along this path, and just say, would you just encourage me to keep being persistent and keep waiting on the Lord? Would you encourage me to take heart? Yes, to wait for the Lord. Can we be people who encourage one another to do that? To not just be people who are doing our routines, but actually meeting with God. I think if we do that, then this weariness that we're used to and we've accepted as normal, we'll see how weak and, and flimsy it really is. We'll find strength and encouragement, and we will experience God in the land of the living. I really think that's what God wants to do among us. So I wanted to encourage you guys. Let's pray, and uh, let's worship the Lord together. Uh, God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you involve us in your life, Lord, that you don't just send us on a mission with marching orders and then just say, I'll check back in after you die. Would you live life with us? We can meet with you every day, Lord. We can just, even in little ways, through, through meditating on your word, studying your word, through praying, through speaking with you, through learning and growing in that capacity, Lord, through worshiping you, Lord, we can meet with you like Moses met with you, God, like people who were invited into the very presence of God, Lord. Jesus, you died so that we would know and have assurance that we can come into the holiest of holies. The way is open because of you, Jesus. We come in by faith in what you've done, Lord. We rest from our works and we rest in you. Lord, would you fill us up with confidence and assurance that truly you are a God who saves and delivers and leads us. Lord, you're a God who brings resurrection life. Lord, would you make us a church who are just, we're, we're persistent. We're moving forward, Lord. We're growing even in our weak places, Lord, but especially building in our strength, seeking you day by day. Teach us to be those people. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Stand together in worship.